This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, everybody. This is Rita Reimer. 19 cats and counting. Yes, I'm still just at 19. Don't try to send me that number 20. Flying solo again as we unfortunately mourn the loss of our own Sebastian Castro, uh, my co-host Linda Hall, his mother-in-law, is not with us on the show today as they try to put their family back together. Everybody, please say a prayer for Linda and for Sebastian's wife, Nikki, Linda's daughter. So we do have an exciting guest on the show to get things a little bit more upbeat. But first, let's pause for a word from our sponsor and I'll be right back with somebody really special. Hang on. Do you want a cat litter that absorbs odor-causing wetness like a parched desert cactus? Well, Arm & Hammer's got a litter for you. New Absorbex with dry desert minerals. Wetness disappears like a Texas raindrop on a hot tin roof. Odor? Adios. It's lightweight, lightning-fast, odor-absorbing desert dry cat litter. Get $4 off now at armandhammer.com slash bounty. New Absorbex from Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. And we're back with 19 Cats and Counting. My special guest today, Steve Applebaum, CEO of Animal Behavior College. Hi, Steve. I'm so happy to talk to you. Hey, Rita, I'm thrilled to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Oh, me too. I've been a long admirer of uh, your organization and the curriculums that you offer, specifically the cat training program. Before we start talking about that, give me a little background on how Animal Behavior College came to be. Well, the short version, Animal Behavior College, I trained dogs for years. I was a patrol dog handler and trainer in the Air Force. I got out. I had originally gone into there with an idea to go into law enforcement. But I, I realized that for me, that wasn't going to be my journey. And I loved working with dogs. And so when I got out, really unclear about what I was going to do, I started training, found that I could make a living, and uh, really took it from there. I found that, gosh, maybe 20-30% of the people that I worked with, and in those days, I was doing primarily private lessons, all had kids. And some of them asked questions about cat behavior that I right. had clue about. Okay. But it occurred to me over time that, well, I mean, aside from the fact that I wanted to help these people and I love cats, that there had to be ways to, to work with them. I mean, could you train a cat? How do you litter box train? Um, you know, <laughs> not to scratch on furniture. How do you deal with fearful behavior, aggressive behavior? Right. And so I started learning and I, you know, I did that. There weren't, this is uh, you know, this is, this is the, uh, the mid eighties, you know, there mm -hmm. wasn't nearly the same resources that there are now oh no no uh, one was talking about cat behavior in no. the 80s no no but you know i talked to other trainers i always was a pretty good networker and knew a ton of other trainers and uh some of them had experienced much the same thing and so a lot of it was just getting together with people and listening doing a lot of listening a lot of observation to see what would work and so from very early on i'd been working with cats 
not as often as dogs, but certainly working with cats. And the two things that I learned from those days were, one, cats aren't dogs. <laughs> it's true, true. So, very obvious, but not so obvious to people when it comes to well, how they go about training them, and that cats are absolutely trainable. You just have to train them differently. That was going on back in the 80s and 90s, but at the same time, my business had morphed into something very different. I connected with a, a national pet chain, and as a result of that connection, started offering obedience training for dogs, obviously, in right. all their stores. Uh, cats can't spell obey, so yeah. No, they <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they would. So that took my business in a completely different direction. And what it, it resulted in was a need for me to find trainers to staff these classes that I was offering in ultimately as many as 44 states, which led to me founding the school because we just couldn't find enough trainers to foot the bill. And we realized that we needed to grow our own. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how Animal Behavior College came into being. It was initially training people to be dog trainers. Training the trainers. Perfect. Training the trainers. Okay. And that took off. That did phenomenally well. By the time this national chain bought me out in 2004, the school was standalone and was doing outstandingly well. And we realized we had a, a somewhat of a unique program in that it was a combination of distance learning, we realized that people didn't need to go to a physical classroom to learn how to do all of the things that they needed. Sure, they were, there was no way we were going to be able to train animal trainers, whether it be cat trainers or dog trainers, through distance learning. I mean, there's a, there's a hands-on component that absolutely can't be denied. But did they need to go to a classroom to learn you know, behavioral theory? And the answer we discovered was no, not really. They could do no. some of this at home. Mm -hmm. And then some of it with a mentor, with trainers, shelters that were working with, with initially with dogs mm -hmm. um, so that they could get the hands-on experience they needed. And so this hybrid model allowed us to essentially launch this thing in all, in all 50 states. It, like I said, became very, very successful. And then we just started to look at other ways we could help. And one of the first things that came to my mind was what I had learned back 10, 15 years earlier about the kitties. Okay. Yeah. Now, at the time, we had set up a program called Students Saving Lives. And basically what that was is that our students, we were placing them in shelters and rescues so that they could volunteer to help in any way that the shelters thought it would be. Uh, and they need the help, believe me. They needed the help. And we, we knew we knew that there was an absolute correlation between behavior and adoptability, not to mention recidivism. Right. Okay. Found it was interesting because initially the mantra that was coming from the shelters was almost exclusively spay and neuter, spay and neuter, spay and neuter. Right. And that's still true today. Absolutely. And it's a very critical message, but it changed. It started to change from spay, neuter, spay, neuter to spay, neuter, maybe train, mm -hmm. spay, neuter, Definitely train. Spay, neuter, train. Yes, that's a good message. And so they were extremely receptive, generally, to having trainers, dog trainers, working with their staff and working with various dogs in their facilities to make them help them get uh, adopted. Mm -hmm. The deal was, though, on the cat side, and there are more cats that wind up in shelters every year than dogs, there was this deafening silence. The idea that you could train, what? What are you talking about? You can't train. <laughs> but you, you know? can. And that was, you know, that was, that was, that was eye-opening to me. It was like, well, but wait, there are millions of perfectly healthy cats, many of whom wind up in shelters every year due to treatable behavioral challenges. 
Yeah, um, more, more cats get euthanized than dogs, and it's really it's, sad. It's, it's crazy. And, and so much of it is preventable. And mm-hmm. that's really what has galvanized me. I love dogs. I'm a dog lover, but I'm also a cat lover. Okay. And the idea that there is so much awareness on the part of the importance of training on the dog side, but not nearly as much on the cat side, stimulates me beyond belief. I just every day, every day. Oh, true. That's why I changed my business model. And, you know, I grew up with a dog. I love dogs too. My mom and dad have seven dogs. They had eight, but my mom runs the uh, Humane Society here in Lancaster, South Carolina. And even though, you know, she loves cats and dogs, she's more of a dog person, her Humane Society, they're very skewed toward dogs. And I kept saying, don't forget the cats, don't forget the cats. But cats are like the forgotten stepchild of the rescue world in in a lot of ways. That's right. And from a behavioral standpoint, you know, and it's funny when you talk to people individually and you say to them, well, you know, cat training and, you know, the reaction is, is, is pretty consistently the same way. Cat training, what are you talking You can't train cats. All right, well, stop and think about this for a second. You can't train cats. Okay, so are you telling me that if you get a cat, you don't expect to teach the cat where to go to the bathroom in the litter box? You, they actually you, expect the cat to come knowing that. And most do, <laughs> but not all of them. That's true, actually. Yes. Everybody wants it yesterday and everybody wants to not have to do any of the work at all. Exactly. Exactly. But so, so that's, you know, that's, that's in a nutshell how this school started and what led me down this path, you know, and, and just to let people know that not only are cats trainable, but, you know, I said earlier that cats are not dogs. Of course, that's obvious, but Mm -hmm. oftentimes dog trainers will tell you that the way to train dogs is to first find out what their motivation is going to be. Right. You know, not every dog is motivated by a belly rub or a treat, you know, or a, or a play toy. I mean, it depends on their personality. And that is exactly the same with cats. Oh, now, yeah, definitely. So it's, it's really just a matter of finding the motivation. Usually that's food, but not always. Okay. And once you've, once you've discovered the motivation, what motivates them, then it's a simple matter of learning behavior modification principles and how they can apply to cats. And since most of cat training at least for the average person, is behavior mod. It's, it's teaching them not to tear up the, uh, the furniture. It's teaching them... Giving them proper alternatives and teaching yeah. them what to do. Yeah. Right. And in, in that respect, and that's, that's an important point. Cat training is, is not about punishment, okay? It's really about teaching proper alternative behaviors and strengthening mm-hmm. those behaviors. Right. So, you know, we, we tell people when it comes to, for example, scratching on furniture, you know, a lot of times it's because the cat hasn't been given appropriate alternative things to scratch on. Oh, that's and, so true. Yeah. And, and so, but the use of the word appropriate, I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to, uh, you know, the kitty parents, I'm talking to them about a scratching post and they go, well, wait, I've got one of those. And they, you know, they bring me to the typical thing, which is comprised of some sort of carpet. <laughs> They've taped over a, you know, some sort of piece of wood that the cat is supposed to scratch on. And, you know, I'll look at them and I'll suggest, okay, well, I mean, that's good. I mean, your heart's in the right place, but right. how's cat's supposed to differentiate between it's okay to scratch on this fabric, but it's not okay to scratch on this fabric, which is for all intents and purposes, essentially the same thing. Yeah. They don't know the difference. I can't tell you, I owned Just for Cats pet sitting for 18 years in in Los Angeles and here in Charlotte area, how many houses we'd walk into and there would be no hint that a cat lived there except for the food bowl, no toys, no trees, no scratching options. And they wonder why the cat has a behavior problem. That's right. That's right. So, so it's, it's really, and you, and you said it at the beginning, it is a thousand percent true. This is really about 
whether you call it owners or pet parents, it's about training the people. Yes. Okay. Because you do that and you get an understanding on the part of them that not only are they trainable, but a lot of this is just environmental. I don't say common sense because it's, you know, A, that makes people feel badly and B, it's only common sense when you've looked at it right. you know, a gazillion times and it's, uh, and it's, it's pretty obvious to you, you know, although I can't tell you how many times, and this is true on the dog and the cat side. Sure. You start to go solutions with people and they get this sort of almost embarrassed look like, Oh, I, what did I think of that? <laughs> I wish Linda was on the call because she's forever telling me, you know, I think all this stuff's common sense because it is to me. And she's like, no, Rita, people don't know this. I'm like, why don't they? She's like, I don't know, but they don't. I didn't. She's like, I didn't until I started working with you. So it's true. What's common sense to me and you isn't really to everyone else because they haven't gotten into the cat mindset or the dog mindset. That's absolutely right. Or they're, when you're reacting to things, it's sometimes very different to take a step back and look and you know really try to understand what's causing some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. That's where trainers come in. But before trainers can come in, there has to be a receptivity that you know kitties yes. are indeed trained. And that's the prime message. You know, and we're doing that. I, I don't expect that you know, I'm spearheading this effort. I'm not. I'm just one of what I hope to be increasing numbers of voices that are getting this positive message out there. Who seems to be attracted to your program most? Cat owners? Or would you say people in rescue or pet sitters or maybe vet techs? Or, like, or is it pretty even across the board, everyone? There is a universal interest, although I have to say probably the largest interest is from dog trainers. Mm -hmm. There are reasons for that. One, they tend to be most focused on behavior. And, you know, we've also, I've made it a point to really put a message out to dog trainers that this is something that they should consider. And I recommend it on several levels. I mean, one, because people get into animal training in part because they want to make a difference in the lives of pets and the people that love them. I mean, that's slogan, but it's absolutely true. And so it's very easy for them to make the jump. Well, if I'm going to help dogs, why not help cats? I mean, I, I like kitties. You know, it's just that many more pets that I can help. Sure. Beyond that, it also makes them, from a business perspective, more marketable. You know, sure. new dogs going out there, there are a lot of dog trainers, but there are far fewer dog trainers that are also cat trainers. So if, you're, if, if you can do both, that immediately puts you in a different category which means you are more likely to get recommendations, which then after you do phenomenal work with your clients are going mm -hmm. to result. We do a lot with dog trainers. We do have interest amongst groomers. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Right. I mean, because groomers realize, wow, you know, there are what, there's what, 95 million cats in the country, mm -hmm. you know, and I think grooming 5%. It's very 5%. difficult to find a cat groomer. Very yes, difficult. It is. Yeah, there, you know, there are a number of reasons for that. But one of them certainly is, is that a lot of groomers just never learned cat behavior. They never learned how to handle them. They focused on dogs. That was their primary business. So we're seeing that. We're certainly seeing it in the veterinary community. And we're starting to see it more and more with rescues and shelters. We're getting interest in the veterinary community. We're getting interest uh, certainly among shelters, especially when they, when they understand when we talk about training, what we're talking about. You know, and that's one of the first things we I, I try to define for people is, you know, once they hear cat training, even before they go to the, well, cats can't be trained, you know, I try to cut that off and just say, well, let me explain to you what we're talking about. We're not talking about obedience training like you would with a dog. Although for anybody that's willing to listen, 
if you teach your cat to come when called, it's not that tough to do. Mine do. Every single one of them do. And they come to their own name. Isn't it amazing? I have 19 cats. They all come to their name. <laughs> I want to see the video. <laughs> it can be overwhelming when they all come at once. Yeah. <laughs> send me video of 10 coming to their name and we will put that on our website. As, <laughs> that's a, I'll that's work a, on that. I'll work on getting that on video. <laughs> That, but you know what? That's coming to their name, coming when called, certainly coming to their name if you have more than one. It can be a lifesaver. It's extremely handy. It's not that difficult to do. Mm -mm. You know, teaching them to walk on a leash. I mean, that's one that causes a bit of eye rollage for people. It's like, well, why would I do that? You know, and and, and look, I mean, you would- I thought that. that at first too, but yes. there's reasons that you would want to do that for sure. That's absolutely. A hundred percent true. The biggest thing that I try to tell people about, especially in the veterinary community, is that you can teach them to, I wouldn't say all cats are going to love their carrier because that wouldn't be true, but <laughs> certainly you can teach them to go to their carrier and you can teach them to anywhere from like to tolerate it, depending on what their previous experiences have been and their general predilections are, which is a hugely important piece of information going to the carrier when it comes to kitty parents and the vets. Uh, oh yeah. I leave my carrier out so my cats aren't scared of it. That's right. That's one of the first things we suggest that people do hmm. is if it only comes out when bad things happen and bad things are what the cat associates. Oh, so, then the minute they see it, they're gone. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, you know, we found, you know, I know I saw an article on this. I've been trying to locate it and I have not been able to, but I saw one was written maybe seven or eight years ago uh, with actual statistics that weren't anecdotal from the veterinary community about the number of cat owners that didn't take their cats to regular, you know, for regular veterinary checkups. Mm -hmm. uh, and really only it's a crazy number, like 30 or 40%, you know, and, and that 15% or so were only taking cats to the vet if there was an, a dire emergency, you know, and, and at first you, you hear these statistics and you go, well, I, look, anybody that's ever had cats or known kitty parents recognizes that they're every bit as loving and caring as dog owners. Uh, some might argue more so. I don't know. A lot of people have 19 dogs. Uh, <laughs> I know quite a few people who have. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's scary, but dogs. there's a lot of us. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a real passion. So how is it possible that, you know, so many people that love these critters don't get them to the vet? And the answer is, of course, because it's impossible to get them in the carrier. That's why. And I had my umbiolic on my show a couple of weeks ago, and she has partnered with Royal Canin and mm -hmm. Hannah Shaw, the kitten lady. Their new push is take your cat to the vet because more than 50% of cat owners don't take their cats to the vet. I have a home vet come, that helps, but I also have, you know, the regular office vet for more dire things. We actually have to take a short pause here, Steve, but we'll be right back after this message from our sponsor to talk more about this wonderful cat training program curriculum. We'll be right back. Are you listening to this right now with a cell phone clenched between your teeth as you frantically flip pages on your paper calendars? Or are you a new breed of groomer, bred for speed and efficiency of movement? 123 Pet Software automates your communications, doing the reminding, confirming, thanking, and marketing for you. 123 Pet centralizes your schedule, employees, clients, inventory, and more. 123 Pet is the business management software you need. Start minding your business today. Visit 123petsoftware.com. Looking for a dental treat that does more for your dog? Daily Dose is a two-in-one chew that pairs a daily dental scrub with powerful supplements. 
to help with the biggest health concerns facing our dogs. Daily Dose was developed by vets to be simple to use and super effective. Plus, dogs love the taste. Available for joint, skin, heart health, or calming. Daily Dose, your pet's daily dose of awesome. Visit yourpetsdailydose.com to save $3 on your first bag with promo code PETLIFE. That's yourpetsdailydose.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And we're back with Steve Applebaum, Animal Behavior College CEO and very knowledgeable cat and dog trainer. We're talking about the curriculum offered at Animal Behavior College, cat training program curriculum, which is really more of a learning cat behavior modification program. And I'm so happy to see the vets are starting to get involved with that because I had a veterinarian not long ago that was scared of cats. And every time I brought my cat in, he acted like the cat was going to bite his hand off. He's not my vet anymore. We've seen this as well. And we're hoping that we see a kind of trickle-up effect, if you will. And we don't train veterinarians at our school. We're training some veterinary staff, veterinary assistants. But the hope is, and we're starting to see indications of it, that when you have one person on staff that understands a bit about cat behavior and has the ability to perhaps diffuse situations that might otherwise end differently and not in a positive way, that gets learned. Sure. You know, it, it trickles up to the vet techs and it trickles eventually up to the veterinarians. So sure. we certainly know that there is an interest on the part of many hospitals to bring on people that have knowledge about cats mm-hmm. and about cat behavior. You know, everything from body re- reading their body language to learning, you know, ways in which you can make the veterinary visit less stressful. Sure. It's extremely important. So oh, and if the yeah. vet doesn't understand cat behavior, he could mistake fear for aggression and right. totally mislabel the cat and even maybe medicate a condition that doesn't really exist. That's absolutely true. Although the first part of it, in my opinion, even before the veterinarian, or even before the uh, person on staff that knows cat behavior is getting parents to understand the proper ways mm-hmm. to teach to go in the carrier. Because if you can't get them, it doesn't really matter whether the vet is or is not comfortable working with cats. There are multiple levels to this equation. We're just happy to be involved you know, wherever we can. And I think most cat parents, just like dog parents, they really do want to understand But especially people who are new to cat ownership, who maybe had a dog before, they've got to unlearn some things that they thought they understood about animals. Because what, like you said earlier, what applies to dog behavior does not always translate to cats. Usually doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. Some of the principles are the same. You know, when you're dealing with cat behavior, when a client comes to me and says, okay, I'm having this issue where, you know, my cat has stopped using the litter box. You know, the solutions there would be very different than solutions that you might come up with if that same story had been told about the client's dog. Oh, yeah, but definitely. Yet there isn't that different. The first thing you do is you sit down and you try to get some idea as to what's been going on in the environment, what mm-hmm. has changed, okay, which is exactly the same, okay, when you're dealing with dog or cat training. Again, the outcomes will be different, but trying to understand root causes 
are not different. So right. when we explain it to people that way, it starts to make sense to them. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and a lot of times it's with litter box stuff, it's simple stuff. You know, well, what's changed? Well, nothing's changed. Well, okay, so no one's come to live there. No one's left. You haven't gotten any new cats or new dogs. Oh, well, <laughs> then you get into it. So when you realize <laughs> nothing's changed to, yeah, you know, my, my mother-in-law has been living with me for three months. And, you know, the litter box, which used to be in one location, has been moved twice. You know? Yeah, and, and people uh, don't realize that stresses out a cat. Not just moving the box, but the new person in the household, yes. because that translates to less territory for the cat, new right. smells, new routines, just the whole new person in the household. Anything, even just moving a chair can stress out a cat. I mean, you just never know what someone's going to freak out about. It's very true. Getting people aware of this is the first step. You know, and, and yes, getting them to understand that even though some of the underlying ways in which you get to solutions to behavior aren't tremendously different than you would be with working with dogs, the actual techniques themselves can be very different. But most people, once they realize that, wow, this is something that I can really do, I can really address, they, they absolutely embrace it. I love that you said that dog trainers are becoming some of your cat training program clients because so many households these days have both cats and dogs. I ran into that owning just for cats pet sitting. The only difference is they usually took their dog with them and we would sit just the cat. But with more people adding a cat or a dog to a household where now you have both kind of pets. I know I've had people come to me and say, hey, I have a cat. I want to add a dog to the household. Or I have a dog. I want to add a cat to the household. And usually I have to get a dog trainer involved as well. And I'm sure dog trainers would need to get a cat trainer involved. But if you've got both sides of it, then you can really help those multi-species households a lot better. That is absolutely correct. And again, that's, that's how I started. When I got into this, when I, when I started this journey, I never knew, I never thought that I would be working with cats on any level. It just didn't occur to me. You know, I didn't know that cats could even be trained back then. <laughs> That's like everybody else. You know, <laughs> so it's been a learning procedure. It's been a learning process. And uh, yes, so dog trainers, absolutely. Really any animal lover that wants to make a difference should seriously consider working with cats because, well, a, you can make a difference and B, because this isn't, you know, this isn't an obscure pet. I mean, again, there are almost a hundred million cats, 95. Yeah. You, know, you look at different websites, you get different numbers, but regardless, right. a huge, huge number of cats. And what that means is there's a lot to help and there are tremendous opportunities. Yeah, they're so, the number one pet now in both the United States and the UK. I believe Canada, too. They're edging out dogs just a little, just by a little bit, I think, because a lot of people um, have multi-cat households like me. And some people prefer to have just one dog. I, I think cat owners are more into the multiples than some dog yeah. owners. I'm looking over your curriculum, you know, and I don't know everything about cats. You know, my friend and fellow behaviorist, Arden Moore, she's always tells me that when you think you know everything, you better get out of business because nobody knows everything about cats. And, you know, I might like to take your cat training curriculum myself just to, you know, I'm sure you guys can teach me a couple tricks. We would love to have you do it. I can come back on and you can tell me what you think. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think I'm going to sign up. Fantastic. Well, I'll make, I'll make sure that happens. I hope someone else listening out there gets motivated. What's wonderful about this program is if you have another career, maybe you want to change careers and get 
into the animal training field. The fact that you can do most of the study at home means you don't have to give up your income to start working towards your new career. Yes, that's right. All the programs were designed for that. These are programs that are really meant for, although you don't have to be working. I mean, we certainly have people that are between jobs, especially now with, yeah. you know, Everybody's COVID. looking for new opportunities now. That's right. That's right. You do not have to give up your job to mm-hmm. do that. You can study it on your own time. You can study it at home to a degree. I mean, eventually you're going to need to, you know, we'll place you with a, with a rescuer, with a trainer so that you can get some hands-on experience. But what's more, since most people that get into this, dog and cat trainers, are not going to typically go out and go work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. They'll start their own business. It is a great, and I mean great, part-time business. It's a little tougher to do full-time because it requires, let me me put it this way. You can be a part-time cat trainer and still have your other job. Okay. Generate enough business to have part-time work. And depending on where in the country you are, Mm -hmm. you know, the earning potential really varies, but, you know, anywhere from, gosh, you know, a thousand to three, four thousand dollars a month part-time. Okay, which for many people is a, it's all the difference in the world. Now, the, sure. the challenge with full-time isn't that it can't be done. It's that often to build the business, you've got to spend a lot more time at it. And there comes a point where, you know, you have to, to decide whether it's going to be possible to work in 70 or 80 hours a week between building your full-time new business and whatever your old job career was. <laughs> Been there. I just got off 18 years of 60, 70 hours a week. So right. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> It can be tough. You can do it part time and then make the gradual transition to full time. And so maybe don't need a full time, you know, if they have a partner, you know, that already has a full time job. Some people just need that part time income and it would be enough to sustain them. And it's it's so rewarding. I left a six figure corporate job years and years ago. I don't miss it. And this is just more rewarding than anything I could ever have done in corporate America. Yes. We get about five to seven percent of our student body comes from surprisingly high paying jobs. I mean, we've had doctors, attorneys, architects, urban anesthesiologists that, you you know, and what happens a lot of times is they reach a certain point. Most of these people are, you know, 50 and up, and they've reached a point where it's money is not even the issue. They recognize that even though that you can do quite well as a trainer, you're not going to make as much as you would if you're an anesthesiologist. Didn't right. matter. The thing is, it's not so much about how much you make, but it's your quality of life. And as you get older, I'm in my 50s, my late 50s, you start to realize what's important in life. And it's not the things you want to keep a roof over your head, but it's really, you know, how much satisfaction are you getting out of what you're doing? And working with animals or working with kids, those are the two areas that I think are the most fulfilling in the world. Probably pay the worst, but definitely fills your soul. Yes, I completely agree. There's also another element with with animal training, certainly dogs and cats, that has always worked for me. And I know in speaking with hundreds of trainers over the years that it works for many of them as well. And that is that you can see a tangible difference mm-hmm. in the quality of life very quickly. You know, and, and for people that get into this line of work, it's a helping profession. And all too often when you're in helping professions, you know, you're giving time. Sometimes you're giving money to causes. You want to make a difference and you hope that you're making a difference, but you can't always see. True. You can't always tell. That is With so this, true. You can tell. 
you can tell. And, you know, the differences that you can make, not only in the lives of the parents, but in the lives of these cats is extraordinary. I mean, it's, it's the difference between them being in loving forever homes or winding up in a shelter or abandoning. Yeah. And that's the goal. And that's a good place to stop our show. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. I would love to have you back. In fact, I am going to enroll in your program. And after I'm done, we'll get back together and talk about it. Meanwhile, I will try to get that video of my cats coming when they're called. Any last words of wisdom you'd like to impart? Anything we didn't cover? No. I mean, other than what I had already said, which is cats are absolutely trainable. Embrace that. Get that message out. People that are interested in our school can find us easily enough at animalbehaviorcollege.com. But honestly, this discussion is not as much about that as it is. Just know that with love, patience, and understanding, cats can be trained. Oh, that's so perfect. Animalbehaviorcollege.com, whether you're looking to train cats, dogs, or just get more information for yourself. And as we wrap up the show, let me thank my producer, Mark Winter, who always does such an awesome job getting my shows ready and uploaded to the website at PetLifeRadio.com. Please keep Linda Hall, Nikki Castro, and extra prayers for the late Sebastian Castro in your heart. And as we end the show, just always remember, every day is Catter Day. Thank you, everybody. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.